Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. So this was um, a tragic week, a heavy week, a uh, week filled with atrocities so unimaginable that adjectives are, are failing me right now to even feel like I can adequately describe them. Unthinkable. Um, and for purposes of you know compartmentalizing and providing an escape, I'll reserve my thoughts for the end. So if you're looking to be distracted, we'll just reserve that discussion for the end. I think sometimes this podcast is here to entertain and sometimes to make you think, but sometimes the best way I can serve an audience is to entertain and make you not think. And I want to be clear, it's not that I don't have thoughts or I don't care. I cannot emphasize enough. I do care and I am utterly consumed off the air. And I think I'm forever wrestling with the disconnect between what I'm thinking on a, you know, what I'm thinking about on a particular week versus what I'm equipped to talk about versus what I think you guys need and want to hear. And and I gather from talking to many of you this week over DMs and stuff, a lot of you are wanting an escape. Last time, it's not the same situation, but, you know, there was kind of a feeling of um, incredible overwhelm in terms of like, how the hell do we like move forward? What's going on? What's the right thing to say or do? New things were happening every day. It was early on when COVID-19 was happening when we were in lockdown and feeling the same sort of like urgency of like, I want to do something, but having no idea what in that moment was the best thing to do. and. In a move that has, you know, it's hard to say, both profoundly hurt and helped my career, I decided to do like a tight 60-minute set, I believe, on just dipping sauces. It was called the aioli spirit. It was weird. You know, I would say it's lightning in a bottle, but I guess it's more like ranch in a bottle. It was very random. I was very stressed. Here's a clip from it for reference. Potion of the gods, and that is a super drippy, watery white queso. My God, I've really had a time in the Midwest trying to get my mitts on some white queso. And I, but, but I I don't want queso fundido. I want watery. I want liquid. I want runny. There is nothing in my life I would ever say, great, but make it runny. We don't want a runny nose. I don't want a runny faucet. I don't want runny eggs. My God, no. When it comes to queso, I want a viscosity that is so low. You're like, do you want some cheese with that water? This is kind of last minute because I don't have much time to do this episode and shit just keeps getting worse. And I I have other pre-recorded episodes and I don't know. I was like, okay, maybe it'll just be me and we'll just talk through things that do not matter. Like the more asinine, the better. And uh, let's just like not think about anything and analyze dumb things for sport for the next hour and change. So I'm going to ask you guys on Instagram now, and as they come in, I'll like snorkel through them. I don't have a premeditated singular topic to go through. We'll just see where it goes once we get these topics rolling in. Um, While I wait, I have like such a weird reservoir of topics on in my iPhone notes and my OneNote. And they're what the problem is. I'll write down a lot of thoughts without putting a I feel very burdened by titles of notes. So my notes are all titled just the first thing I wrote on it. So I don't actually ever know what the notes are for. Like my current list of notes, underslept, good, Gmail, Emily Gilmore, how do I? Itchy. (laughs) This one's, this is, this one's, 
from 620. It says no kneecap slash floor salad. That was 100% when I was writing notes for the Caroline Calloway podcast. I forgot to ask her about not having kneecaps, um, which is something she wrote about in her book. And then she had influencers on the on over at one point to like eat salad on the floor. Anyway, so while I'm waiting for your responses, let's just see if we can snorkel through any of my like weird effing notes. There's one that I saw the other day that I was like, what is this? What was the goal here? Like, what's the common denial? What, what was this list for? It appears I did add to it over time. It wasn't in one sitting. It's almost like random things I think about often. Uh maybe it's trends i don't know so if you ever need something else to think about in this life i'll provide you this list that gives you plenty of food for thought <laughs> should you ever need it and please reach out if you think you can figure out um what i was getting at okay starts with just mirrored furniture no comments then i'm just glad we don't have to listen to party rock anthem anymore riding boots are for horses should we call fall booties hay riding boots you have to be a certain type of cute to pull off sticking out your tongue in photos. Was anyone really texting 40404 to post on Twitter? I'd love a list of people who have voted for American Idol or Dancing with the Stars, but never in an election. When I need to laugh, sometimes I think about that botched Jesus restoration painting in Spain. Before influencers were a thing, the only way to gain a following was to be a photographer. Foursquare, what was that? Tough stuff to try hard to be a mayor of a grocery store. When Ariana Grande accidentally got a tattoo that said barbecue BBQ grill, <laughs> saying on fleek, is Chiabana the new brioche? You don't realize how crumbly a Nature Valley bar is until you're wearing a cowl neck top, the crumb catchers of fashion? Question mark. It's not a speakeasy if you make a reservation on Open Table. I remember pretending to read Hatchet or The Giver to seem intellectual from an early age but I was bored. What was Benicula's vibe? I really thought a skull scarf would give me the edginess I've always longed for. It really is crazy that macarons and macaroons aren't the same thing. Macarons are the ultimate lesson in overexposure. If cauliflower's the new kale, what's the new cauliflower? I feel secondhand embarrassment when public school music teachers sing at chorus concerts or dance teachers dance at recitals. Now, that last one is problematic. Also, showing off is that's kind of one of those elementary school things that you just never wanted to be accused of. Like how this is what we grew up. This is this is why we, we have imposter syndrome. This is why it's hard to promote ourselves. This is why we, we apologize all the time, because let's say you were actually good at something and you wanted to show people that they accuse you of showing off like in, in is there anything more embarrassing than being called a show off like my god i can think of two times in life when somebody called me a show off and i wanted to die one was so i have like i'm okay i don't have a bad vertical jump i'll just say that not to show off <laughs> i was a volleyball player you know um and one thing i can do quite well is jump and click my heels to the side not a sexy skill <laughs> it's you know it's very singing in the rain it may, may, maybe would have come in handy with like musical theater or if i was a um, clip art cartoon woman in ms word but in life haven't really used it much 
I remember showing people one time, like on a blacktop, how well I could jump and click my heels and somebody called me a show off. Wow. And I mean, I, yeah, I just didn't see it coming. I think I was prompted to do it. It's not like I was playing tetherball or speaking of Foursquare, Foursquare, Foursquare culture is wild too. Showing off in Foursquare is doing like a cherry bomb, you know, like a really big overhead, excessively high bounce. And yeah, it's just uh, one of those things that still makes me mad. Okay. Oh, I think the other thing that uh, in terms of elementary school socializing that I remember doing a lot and I think is early symptoms of, of, you know, a lifetime of people pleasing is somebody saying something's their favorite. Like, what's your favorite color? And I'm like, oh, my favorite color is I feel like um, when I was younger, sky blue was like the vibe. It was all the rage. I'd say like sky blue. And then they'd say, oh, mine's hot pink. And then he'd be like, oh, yeah, well, mine used to be sky blue, but uh, now it's hot pink. I'm like, that's so embarrassing for me. So, okay, I'm still I'm getting your responses now <laughs> so I can get off this, my own random topics. But, oh, one person did say, what's the new it vegetable? I would love to talk about that. I think the PR certain vegetables can get is kind of astounding. Just in general, the branding of a superfood, I think, is really interesting. Superfood definition. It's like a nutrient-rich food considered to be especially beneficial for health and well-being. So there's no, like, official superfood committee. I just feel like there was a time when we were eating, like, you know, run-of-the-mill things like grapes to all of a sudden pomegranate nation, palm juice, palm wonderful. So it was palm. I feel like the trajectory of super fruits was first pomegranate and then acai and i don't know guys i don't think goji berries took off the way they hoped i don't know who was behind that but i feel like goji berries were the most like recent installment of that so not the same but somewhere along the way i feel like hibiscus started to get infused in a lot of things and i don't totally understand that but i do think that we've gone through a progression the past 10 15 years of you know, everything's chickpea, everything's avocado, everything's kale. Then, like I said, cauliflower became the new kale. Where does that leave us now? I went on the record, you know, saying, I think it was last year, I wanted to say you heard it here first at the Be There in Five podcast. My prediction, I think, was that microgreens were going to be the new cauliflower. Now, I don't think I don't think so. I think if anything, watercress could could be the new it girl. But watercress is kind of it's it's kind of like cabbage it's a little bit more peppery i think it has potential but in general if i'm going to go on the record i'm going to actually say that we're over um leafy things and root root vegetables are the way of the future um what did i see recently that i think is going to start happening more oh rutabaga mashes you heard it here first i think it's root vegetables time to shine i think uh, we're all going to be doing a rutabaga mash in only a matter of time because what are food trends but ways to make Good food tastes worse by making them healthier. So it's like, ooh, a ruga, rutabaga french fry, a rutabaga mash, rutabaga gnocchi. Stop ruining gnocchi. It's just like, like yes, Trader Joe's cauliflower gnocchi was, is, it wasn't as revelatory. It was out of stock for so long. Now it's easier to get. It's, it's, it's hard to make well. It gets a bit mushy. But I don't know. A rutabaga is a hybrid between a turnip and a cabbage. And we love a collab. So I guess that's what I would say for now. I just think food trends are funny. like or just. I don't know, even um, like growing up when we'd, again, my culture is the suburbs. So like, I don't, I didn't have like, you know, super diversified uh, taste, but I remember thinking, damn, mango salsa, that's crazy. <laughs> 
What a thrill. Kettle corn mixing sweet and savory blew my goddamn mind. And then I actually think like researching um, restaurant trends relative to like what's going on in our culture and in the economy is really, really interesting. I think like it's really interesting to think back when we went so hard for flatbreads because they are rectangular pizzas with less sauce. Um, and I was looking up when flatbreads on Google Trends like were a thing. And it's very clearly like skyrockets uh, post-recession, you know, the Great Recession, 2007, 2008. Um, and... Apparently, in trying times, artisanal products thrive because eateries need items with inexpensive ingredients to improve margins. But fast casual items like pizza reinforce patrons' feelings of economic scarcity. So, yeah, you got to think outside the pizza box and rebrand a pizza into a flatbread. And that's the other thing about America is, is flatbreads are such a staple of so many cultures. Think of naan. But America has a way of rebranding, you know, ancient culinary traditions but but adding trendy ingredients and acting like we made it up toss it in the chorus of an applebee's jingle you know and uh i remember buying a groupon to a place with a back patio but i just wanted to dine al fresco but i didn't really have any money and i went there with my groupon and there were rats um but it felt okay because i got if it was a pear and goat cheese flatbread with a honey drizzle and that just like felt elevated um and that was a hard time when uh bloggers were telling us to elevate our every day but it's like how 18 dollars flatbread that you had to buy a groupon for and it just i don't know it made sense at the time the food trends of the 2010s i was there for it all you know molecular gastronomy check love an elevated gastropub it's like burgers with 15 toppings amazing i i love food served out of an unconventional location enter the food truck so 2010s um, I think fusion was a little bit more aughts, like sushi samba, sex in the city episode vibes, but also a fan. We don't need to fuse all foods, but sometimes it really does work. I think one of the most pervasive uh, food trends that, again, is is a culinary tradition and a place that has been doing this much longer than I, uh, Catherine Kennedy, have been. But I think when when I got into tapas, more shareable plates, I don't know if you if Chicago people relate to this, but. I feel like, the, you know, when I first moved to Chicago, um, it was a lot of going to Cafe Baba Riba. Still a fan. But at the time, it was like, let's get a pitcher of sangria, drink our faces off, and then split a bacon-wrapped date. We were like halving bacon-wrapped dates. Like, that's so grim. But I love tapas. It just, it, it is hard for a group of eight women to get full. When my husband and I first started dating, we used to just... Super soak this town with restaurant.com gift cards. What were those? They were, they were, how, there'd be like sales and they'd be a dollar. It, it, and then you'd, act, it would actually be a good deal. I don't even understand the business model of restaurant.com because we actually got some great meals for a very reasonable price. Okay. When I say great meals, I do think they max out about, at about three stars on Yelp, but we got some adequate meals for a great price. And that's all I could really ask for. One time I did a question box about um, like what's the most random or like weird or funny or sad thing you bought with a Groupon. I just I love Groupon culture. Um, and so many of you said boudoir shoots. And I just I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, were those legit? Did you make sure it was like a woman? 
I mean, how easy would it be for like a male photographer to show up with an iPhone and do boudoir shoots? Like, I hope they were sanctioned. This person said they bought a Groupon for a cooking class and they awkwardly ended up being in a woman's kitchen in her home. And I brought up that one time I did a wine tasting and um, the description made it sound like we were effectively going to France in this Illinois suburb. But it, it was a guy's backyard. I believe his name was Crunch Crunchmore, which sounds like a lie, but it's not. It's not. Greg took me. It was in a guy's backyard. There, they, It was like where the brown line ends, where the sidewalk ends, where the brown line ends. And it, we drank wine on folding tables in wet grass. And we were served like a weird bulk meal that had the energy of a church basement. And yeah, it, it was basically a, a potluck in a man's backyard. And he called himself a sommelier. Have I told this story before? I wonder if this is going to turn into the, the um, remember when I told you guys that my pre-Cana Catholic required course, this guy said his wife couldn't show up because she had like a last minute face painting emergency because they were literal clowns. And I didn't even want to be there learning about natural family planning. And then a sizable amount of listeners like that are Chicago based reached out and said they had the same person, but not on the same date who gave the same excuse. And we're like, wait, is this clown clowning around town posing as a married man who can give couples realistic advice and their mandatory pre-canic counseling to get married in a Catholic church? But really, he's duping the masses at mass because he's not actually married. Because how many face painting emergencies can a person have? <sighs> Remains a mystery. I was, just, anyways, there's a whole episode about pre cana and premarital counseling. That's one of my favorite episodes called Sexy Cana. But anyway, yeah, if anybody went to a wine tasting in or around Chicago with this man that whose name was like maybe Crunch Crunchmore, Crunch Crunchmore wine. Nope, there's no results. Crunch Crunchmore. Let me text Greg. What was that wine tasting guy's name? Crunch Crunchmore? <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'll let you know when when he follows up. I'm going through an Instagram story from 2021 that I screenshotted um, responses to because I found them so funny. And I think I meant to do an episode about it. So forgive me. But um, if I've talked about Groupons before, but I do find them funny. Like, for example, this person paid money, paid their hard earned money for for something called a light facial. It was me sitting in front of a light for an hour. <laughs> hour in the salt room. I watch TV in a room full of salt. Oh my God. Himalayan salt lamp culture is a whole other thing. I'm sure it had it. The, I mean, in terms of it being kind of co-opted and oversold in America, if there are two things home goods is good for, it's for an overproduction of tufted ornaments that no one's ever going to buy. And Himalayan salt lamps in the clearance aisle that are so heavy, no one's going to bring it to the front register. Um, Wow. But I, yeah, I wanted the ions. Are you kidding? When I first heard about them, I bought it with such urgency, but I don't, I just don't really know what the ions ended up doing for me or my life. But now I'm remembering I said that once on Instagram and people got mad at me because they like swear by him laying salt lamps. I believe you. You know, like one person's miracle solution is another person's weird coupon that leads them to an unmarked location in a back room in a camping chair getting a teeth whitening that actually happened to one of you. And a camping chair. Like, <laughs> this is what I mean. Group ones were crazy because I don't think they were regulated. Like, that some guy was like, yeah, I'll whiten your teeth. 
got a zero-gravity camping chair from the nearest Orvis, and I'll put white strips on you in my back room. <laughs> Keratin hair treatment. The hairdresser left me halfway in her empty salon to go buy more. <laughs> like at a CVS. <laughs> All-inclusive trip to Niagara Falls. Inclusive was several coupons to IHOP. <laughs> what kind of business is worth these? To be fair, there was also like living social, not to totally slander Groupon. Some of the combos were so funny, like horseback riding and daiquiri combo. Like what? It was in New Orleans. So it wasn't even like beach horseback riding with daiquiri. It's just like, why those two things? I just don't really understand. It's not exactly peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> this person's boudoir portraits uh, in the photographer's house. They had a large dog parking outside and a toddler knocking on the door. Tough stuff. Horseback riding in Oklahoma City. We rode alongside a highway. <laughs> Wait, this is a pottery painting that came with a five-day juice cleanse? It doesn't even make sense. At a point, we're just combining buzzwords. This sounds like AI Groupons. It's kind of like the horseback riding and the daiquiris. Like, these things aren't related. A beer festival. It's a shot glass of warm and or flat beer from three sad tents. A lot of, lot of like lash extensions and waxes in people's homes where their kids were present. Tough stuff. Comedy show in someone's living room. <laughs> like, guys, who's brokering these deals? Trap shooting at the horse and hunt club with a free elk burger. I'm vegan. Like, why'd you buy that? I, this is what I mean. There's no such thing on, uh, as a good deal on an item you never needed. And I think we just were like, oh, my God, a trap shoot at the Horse and Hunt Club with a free elk burger? What a steal. 80% off. Colored cocktail making class that was with colored water, no alcohol. Not a good surprise. I got my sister a massage. They only <laughs> massaged her toes and kneecaps. Wow. Alternative. That that was definitely uh, I, probably a fetish situation, no? Tickets to a musical called Walmart-topia. Off, 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 off Broadway. A place that stretches you. I think it was literally called Stretch You. Wow. A class for how to melt slash flatten a wine bottle into a serving platter. <laughs> a lot of people got fleece-lined leggings. What is that? Uh, a lot of people bought trapeze classes, but I think that's very Carrie Bradshaw. Like, I think if you lived in New York, the things they did on Sex and the City, you wanted to do too. You wanted to go to Sushi Samba. You wanted to go to a trapeze class. You wanted to, um, you know, go to the Soho House roof. If you watched Gossip Girl, you wanted to go to Butter. I, I you know, I, I think there were New York City hotspots popularized by TV shows. And I genuinely understand. Now, I'm like, did I do an episode? I don't remember. but. It just is. It, it, I know I've talked about this before, but it, it's a fascinating exploitation of a, a recession, a, a scarcity mentality when you have a company brokering deals for experiences from like non professionals or unlicensed individuals that like literally just were like, I'll do a comedy show in my living room. <laughs> like, what? But yeah, I, do, I look back on that time fondly because there was a recession. I had a job, but you know, spending full price on experiences it wasn't always easy so yeah you did have to get 85 percent off a paint and sip i love a paint and sip i went to so many paint and sips but for the love of god 
at the time at least, I haven't been to one in many years, why were we like painting Monet's? Why were we painting so many trees and fields and like sunsets? If of all things that you should know about millennials, it's that especially at the time, primary colors were not the vibe. We're the gracious generation. Why weren't we doing abstracts and pastels? On no planet would I ever buy a, a poorly done painting with like fire red, orange, and yellow hues. None of my, so I had like this whole collection of canvases that I guess had sentimental value, but had absolutely no artistic function to like serve my home. Like, did you guys honestly keep and hang your paint and sips? Maybe it was just my poor skill level, but actually I don't think it was because I think I told you one time at a sub subway sandwich shop, not the tr public transit, the sandwich artist did buy my paint and sip and it was, it was a, like a Monet of a field. I think I have a picture. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. And it, it wasn't that good. But I do, if I remember correctly, I need to ask my friend Hannah, but like, I think he paid me $40, which then funded my next paint and sip. I, I, do, I do think it's charming that at any point in like, yeah, 2011, 2012, you wouldn't be hard pressed to find a gaggle of girls on walking down a city sidewalk, headed to a second location, carrying huge ass canvas prints of some of the worst artwork you've ever seen in your life. In primary colors, much too harsh for the palette of your average home. However, perfect for your local Subway sandwich shop. Anyway, you guys, um, this person said, people ask me a lot about this, about um, Kibby body types. And okay, I did this one time. I don't really understand what it is. And we're not deep diving here. So I'm not even going to look it up. But what, what did happen to me was it was revealed to me that I have what's called a goblet body type, which listen, you know, it wasn't my favorite thing I've ever been compared to. It basically is like, you know, broader shoulders than hips, a big bust, more like of a, a wide middle and long legs. This is more so like, I think, like weight and bulk distribution. Um, and yeah, yeah. Do I, Now that you're saying it, do I have a gob bod? Sure. Did I need to know that? No. Do I think about it all the time? Yes. I don't really know. I, I just don't know if I believe in typing uh, our bodies. I just don't. We don't. Uh, we millennials survived so long in magazines um, being like, which face shape do you have? Like, I don't know. It's like kind of an oval and it's kind of long. And but my chin points uh, when I smile, like I, face shape things never help me. Um body type for denim never helped me either. But it was always pretty much like hourglass, pencil, you know, pear. And again, I don't think we need to shape our bodies to objects. But um, yeah, I, I did I see a lot of representation for gob bods in 17 and in YM back in the day? No, it might have been nice. It might have been nice. But um, I just don't really know if it serves me if I'm being honest. So no, I haven't really looked into body types. I mean, I'm assuming this is a coincidence or every time you guys look at me, you're just like, God, bud, what, what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on stemware? And uh, I get it. Again, we're going through topics that I asked on Instagram, like what's a mindless thing you want to talk about? This person said proper stemware at bars and restaurants. And yeah, I think this is a huge problem today in our nation. And I think this has to do with how you know what kind of wine you're working with. Now, I do love um, like a red and white checker casual Italian eatery. I think that's an acceptable place for a, a, a thick stem, a, a girthier stem with a a goblet that 
is so small, it makes a five ounce pour look like the waiter's really doing you a solid. I think they do that on purpose for like the optics of it looking like more than it is. Sometimes that is an indicator of a deeply charming place. It's actually going to have good wine, like served in a craft. Maybe they have house wine. So I can't give I can't give a hard and fast rule on what you observe about stemware versus the quality of wine. But I do feel strongly about this topic in in general. I mean, I think the goal of stemware is that you want to taste the wine, not the glass. And if I'm going to be pretentious, I mean, I learned a thing or two from Crunch Crunch more. Um, you, you want as minimal interference as possible between the wine and your mouth for a seamless tasting experience. So, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you, you want it to be non-existent. Like, I, I want a, a rim so thin it would cut the sides of my mouth, like a plastic flavor ice pop on a family vacation. And, and then you want a substantial goblet so you can swirl the wine around without having to be overly careful and spilling, you know, white tablecloth vibes. The point is to, to agitate and aerate the wine. Um, so, you, you know, you want there to be enough space in the goblet for sloshing around without spilling. And, you know, now that I'm saying that as a um, reluctant gobbod, maybe that's why I didn't know I had so much fluid in my lungs while pregnant. Ample space for uninterrupted sloshing. Anyway, the height of the stem, I, that just makes for an elegant experience. You know, I think in general, nobody wants a super thin glass, a super long stem. They're, they're so hard to care for. You, they have to hand wash. They can be broken so easily. I say that's a welcome byproduct, especially at a wedding, less clinking to get the couple to kiss. I don't need you to perform your affection for me. But a longer stem, I think it's just nice because of the, the grace factor. Actually, many, a long time ago, um, many of you pointed out upon seeing photos of me with a wine stem, that I have a tendency to kind of like manhandle a stem. I don't know, like like it's a shake weight or something. And I'm not totally sure why this happens or why it looks like that in photos. Like I'm my fist is so hard around the grip of the stem. But I really hate fingerprints and grease on the goblet part. So I think I just focus my grip on the bottom. Um, but yeah, all this goes out the window at a dive bar or, or sports bar or casual pub with wine that's been open for like the last six to eight business days. And there's a certain type of sports bar that has wristband deals or like pub that, um, you know, the wine was open last week. You, you know, it was because actually, and that's where I, I think that we may be wrong here and that, that we maybe want the, the thicker glassware at the, the more casual joint because part of what I think we want as, as, women in stemware, if you will, it is a more elegant drinking experience. But I'm here to tell you that's actually not true if the wine is bad. You, you want maximum interference with the bouquet uh, when the bouquet is acetone and vinegar, you know, like, yeah, give me a huge lip, a, a stubby foot and a thick stem. If half the sip drips down my face from trying to get my mouth over the thick lip, that's fine. Less in my mouth is more. Because at a sports bar, white wine is almost always a bad Pinot Grigio usually room temperature, it, that has like an, a level of irrevocable funk that will make you drink it so fast just because you want it to be over. And then with sports bar or pub, like red wine that's been open for so long, it's oxidized to a point where it's so abrasive, like it's almost chewy and, and it lights your throat on fire. 
Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's I feel like you, you can. The, the, I guess the one downside of the thicker stem is it might be interfering with smelling the wine, but I don't think we're doing a full swirl at a sports bar, but you maybe should because you probably would know from from the smell like it's going to cause a chemical burn. But again, this was maybe when I was doing wristband deals, this was at an age when I was spending a lot of time in both nail salons getting many petty deals from Groupon so I could be, you know, rocking a proper OPI Cajun shrimp. Um, and I was going to a lot of patent simps, so I guess it wasn't weird that I couldn't discern how the wine smelled from like acetone, nail polish remover, or like paint dinner, because I was just smelling these things all the time. Anyway, trying times. I, but to, I say that, and I don't, I, I to this day don't remember not to order red wine at most casual bars. I always have high hopes. I forget so easily. But then, yeah, then the second you drink it, you're like, I, I know better. I think I've seen this film before. <laughs> On my teeth. <laughs> Because again, it's chewy and thick. Thank God I, I know a guy who does back alley teeth whitenings in a foldable chair. Okay, we got to move on. This feels like the right time to bring up Evelyn and Bobby, regardless of if you're a gob bot or not. If you're just needing solutions for your chest area, Evelyn and Bobby was founded by a size 34G woman who was sick of the pain, discomfort, and posture issues that her underwire bras were causing her. And she searched for a better bra and came up empty and realized the 91-year-old underwire technology was not cutting it. So after years of R&D, she created this proprietary EB Core technology that's in every single one of Evelyn and Bobby's wire-free bras, which are designed to comfortably support up to a K-cup, which is amazing because the size ranges of so many bra companies are simply not there. And as a person who's experienced a lot of fluctuation since being pregnant and breastfeeding and then not, these bras have changed my life, not just from being incredibly comfortable, like they're not even there, um, but also providing a level of support that, honest to God, has provided me so much like neck and back relief. And they have a new bra called the Starlet Plunge. It's wire-free, it has adjustable straps and a backband for sizing flexibility, and it's their lowest neckline ever to give you versatility with fashion choices. And in general, they, truly, they, they the research paid off. There's this like patented sling that replaces underwire. It's smoothing, seamless, and invisible underclothing, and it molds to fit your unique shape. So it's important if you try the bra in, in one to three wears, it will mold to you and fit perfectly. And I've heard from so many of you that this has really reduced a lot of your uh, back and neck discomfort. And it has extra support layers built into larger sizes to support heavy breasts. And they're quick drying. They're moisture wicking. They have seven easy sizes. And I literally wear these all day, every day and can't speak more positively. But if you don't want to take my word for it, they have over 10,000 plus five-star reviews. And Evelyn and Bobby is giving Be There and Five listeners an exclusive discount code to try Evelyn and Bobby bras risk-free for yourself. Use code and 5 on EvelynBobby.com for $15 off your first bra. That's EvelynBobby.com spelled B-O-B-B-I-E with code and 5 for $15 off your first bra. I also want to thank Ritual, another innovative company founded by a woman who was looking for a solution in a space of women's health that didn't have a lot of transparency and looking for a, a prenatal vitamin. So she created your own. But they've recently ventured into skincare from within. And Hyacera is a once daily supplement from Ritual designed to promote skin support from within with clinically proven ingredients to minimize 
fine lines after 90 days. Something I've learned in recent years trying to figure out the old skincare routine is there's a gradual loss of hyaluronic acid in the skin as we age. So understandably, it becomes thinner and drier and more prone to fine lines. Of course, aging is a beautiful thing, but I think for depending on your skin type, when these changes become more noticeable, you want to figure out a, a manageable way to support your skin. Hyacera is a once daily skin support supplement with two clinically proven ingredients, Ceratique and Hyabest. In a clinical study done by independent research lab, Ceratique proved to help reduce fine lines in 90 days. In a clinical study done by the supplier, Hyabest significantly improved skin luster and suppleness compared with the baseline. And it's simple daily waiting, enhance your skincare routine from the inside out. In a once daily capsule, uh, this might be my favorite. <laughs> I was going to say flavor. That doesn't make sense. But what's amazing about ritual vitamins overall is that they don't they don't irritate my stomach and they have this it's like nice sense. And this one is a soothing vanilla scent and it's outstanding. And ritual vitamins are made traceable, non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, no artificial colorants, third-party tested for heavy metals and microbes, promote skin support from within without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a skin supplement you can actually trust. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash be there in five to start Ritual or add Hyacera to your lineup today. Ritual.com slash be there in five. I also, can we talk about a wristband deal? I hate a wristband deal. Did any of you guys just go to bar wristband deals constantly in your 20s? It's not a deal if I'm paying $40 for unlimited drinks and the unlimited drinks are like a cranberry vodka, a screwdriver. And like access to fountain sodas. Like not all of us are Taylor Swift and can earnestly say that they like a Diet Coke and vodka and eat something a little more interesting. Wow, it's kind of interesting how the tangents make themselves because we went from body types to gob bod to actual goblets to bringing up soda. And now people are asking me to rank, well, specifically rank root beer brands. Okay, I'm going to do this quick. I need to stop elaborating. I mean, top of my mind. Number one, Barks. Number two, Mug. Number three, A&W. I don't make the rules. It's going to be hard to walk away from that one because I know people won't agree. I also, I especially, I don't know. Lately, I've been liking a Mr. Pibb over a Dr. Pepper, which is pretty crazy too, to go hard for the beta of a soda brand. Like, have you ever in your life heard of somebody craving a Sierra Mist? No, you crave a Sprite. What do you want when you have a tummy ache? A Sprite. Which is also an interesting thing when you think about it of childhood, like a myth of childhood, like you thought you were going to get arrested if the car, like the internal car lights were on because your parents got so mad about it. Like, did you guys, I was kind of under the impression that when you have a tummy ache, you drink a Coke or like a Sprite. Something about the carbonation, but I don't think that's legit. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, somebody asked, is it weird to ask for must, must have baby products? No, it's not. Um, and I do have an Amazon storefront like every other sellout in this town. Um, but it really is the easiest way to consolidate things. So yeah, I put this stuff from my, that I registered for or bought that I actually used. Um, it does not have stuff that I do not ha own, which I think is key with baby stuff. Cause I feel like a lot of mom influencers, God love them, um, just share like anything you might possibly need for a baby. And it's not stuff they've like actually tried. Um, and there's been a lot of trial and error. So yes, that is there. However, speaking of baby stuff, um, I was showing you guys uh, like a very how it took me like two months to engineer the, the proper bath routine for Teddy because I, when they're small and they can't support their neck and I got like the hard like angel care bath and it just it wasn't vibing. We didn't have a snake arm. The temperature control is hard. Anyway, I engineered this situation. There's a highlight about it on my Instagram. I'm sure you're dying to hear. Um, 
But people noticed that I had this, or I actually called out that like I I was using this gray tub and I was like, I stole this gray tub from the hospital, much like Ross and friends when he goes to a hotel and he steals like the light bulbs. Um, I was given the advice by many of you and close friends that when you give birth in the postpartum, like recovery suite, anything they give you in there is essentially contaminated. So take it all, take all the baby blankets, all the pacifiers, um, all the diapers, all the wipes, the Vaseline. Take all the pads, all the all all of your usual suspects. But then, yeah, I think for those of us that uh, think outside the box, think inside the bin, you kind of look around. You're like, well, what are they giving me? That's like kind of next level, that light bulb level, which I wouldn't take those. But a lot of us took the gray bins, which are often given to you if you are trying to pump in the hospital. Um, apparently, sterilization, not NBD, um, in the most sterile place on earth. But they basically just give you a gray bin and they gave me like packets of soap and I would like soak breast pump parts in it in the postpartum recovery suite. Since I went to the hospital twice or had to stay there twice postpartum, I was fortunate enough to grab two crappy gray plastic bins. And it was so crazy to me how I I just love these moments on Instagram when I just don't even know something is as common as it is. So many of you are like, oh, my God, love these bins. I've had them for 20 years. I have my mom's bins from when she gave birth. And I was like, oh, my God, we're all stealing the bins. And then all of you guys that didn't steal the bins were like, what the hell? No one told me to steal the bins. So hot tip, steal the bins, get a blood pressure cuff, uh, check your blood pressure after you give birth and bring a Roku and a stroller fan because the temperature simply was not cold enough when I was giving birth. Those are my hot tips. But anyway, so then this bin I, was, I put out an, on an Instagram story, like, what are you guys using your bins for? And the answers ran the gamut. I mean, it was kind of cute. It was one of those girl moments that I'm like, we love to get multiple uses out of something. It's kind of like back in the day when we were burning candles, like high-end candles and using the jars to like store makeup brushes. You know what I mean? I love that energy. And um, the things you guys use these for, I mean, toys, lids, snacks, uh, your, you know, under sink organizers, a camping dish, wash tote, uh, obviously bottles, a lot of people soaking stains with OxyClean, uh, with their laundry. A lot of people use them to hold bath toys in their mud room for when kids are messy. I mean, tie dyeing shirts, hand washing bras. It wasn't for potty training. A lot of babies love to like play bongos on these hospital bins. Um, when I was a resident on night float, we would eat, use them to eat pho, clean ones, obviously. Interesting. Um, this person said, somebody even said that they use them for crayfish habitats. I mean, what a dream. I just, I love the multi-purpose usage. Again, these are the shittiest bins on the planet. They're so flimsy. They would probably, I mean, they might run, I don't know, $7.99 at a container store. But I just love the enthusiasm and the desire to keep something for eternity that we got for free. Anyway, um, what was striking to me about this conversation is that so many of you said it is your combo, popcorn slash puke bowl. And ladies, as I said on Instagram, frost yourselves. We, at the year of our Lord, 2024, we do not need to be eating popcorn out of the same bucket our children puke in. Or maybe you puke in. I'm charmed that these bins span generations. I am not charmed that these bedpan generations. And I think that this, these trying times should be a call to action to go online, to look up a huge ass bowl, get something pretty, get it lacquered, get it bamboo. I don't care. Go nuts. Just for the love of God, 
let's not shit where we eat. Let's not puke where we popcorn. Um, I think we deserve it. Um, this person said, are goldfish and Cheez-Its the same material stamped in different shapes? Discuss. That's interesting. Mm, I think in the, I think they're from a similar snack family, but I, I think goldfish have a chalkier finish. The uh, one major difference is like, I think goldfish, it's a fascinating phenomenon to me where, and maybe this is only if you have an adult dose, but an adult dose of goldfish is so damn chalky. It gives you a level of cotton mouth I can only compare to like sorority recruitment. It, it robs you of any and all salivary lubrication in a way that like is a bit concerning when I think about it. But why I like goldfish and why I come back to goldfish is because I like it's almost that rice cake effect of do, when you guys eat a rice cake, do you kind of go out of your way to make sure you're putting um, flavor side down so the white cheddar powder goes on your tongue? I will say this is so high risk for crumbs, for, you know, the cheese dust getting on you. And for a person that almost only wears black, I do have to be smart about when I choose to rice cake. Um, but there is always one side with like a more cheese dust on it. And I think that with goldfish, it's kind of that similar thing where the most satisfying part of eating them is when you first rest them on your tongue and you really get a good salty side down. Um, I think they're just generally a bit scratchier and chalkier in the finish than um, Cheez-Its. I find Cheez-Its to not only maintain your saliva levels, but they have a smokier aftertaste and I think a much richer cheddar infusion. Um, so I guess my answer is no, I don't think they're the same. And just a quick plug for the undersung member of this extended family, the better cheddar. Don't forget about better cheddars. Still, still in existence, as delicious as ever. A little bit more um, uh, light, pillowy. They're almost like the thin crust pizza of the Cheez-It family. Anyway, thank you for asking. Person said, trying to be a plant person, but I've killed everything in the past. Do you have a green thumb? No. Mm -mm, no, I don't think I ever will. Um, that is something I'm willing to walk away from. I love other people's houseplants. I wanted to be like every blogger, you know, in recent years, having a thriving fiddly fig in the background. It's just, it's a lot of work and it's not for me. And I mean, I just don't really understand. It's like, okay, it'd be one thing if I just had to water it, but then there's that whole photosynthesis thing where it like needs light too and oxygen. But I think that's kind of, you know, straightforward. So I, yeah, one out of three, simple. Watering though, you kind of do. Okay. I pay someone to uh, put planters on my front porch. We live in the city, but in like kind of like a small single family home and um, we do have a porch that's cute. I still need to get a rocking chair, but I wanted planters. Like my parents always just had a nice yard and, and planters. They had ferns. I just, I want to be that person so badly. So since I know I'm not that person, I pay someone to do my planters once a quarter. Um, <laughs> it's gone to the point where neither Greg and I cannot remember to water these planters that they die so swiftly. And I leave them there for so long that my planter person has started slowly over time. I've been noticing she's been giving me more low maintenance plants and they've gotten slightly less attractive to the point where the fall planters I currently have, while lovely, and I'm so grateful, <laughs> we're at the point now where she's mostly just giving me sticks. Like they're just, it's, just, it's I got, I got sticks and like fake gourds where I, the, 
she doesn't even want to give me things living because I feel like I'm making her work look bad because I can't remember to water them. But then it's like, I don't know, rain. Like it's out. I just don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like yard work's kind of crazy when I can't be held responsible. And I just, you would think the earth would take care of these things. Are you guys so bored? <laughs> I haven't done this in a while. And I think that I got out of doing this kind of like really random all over the place podcast because I go in and out of periods of deep self-consciousness um, where I'm haunted by both me and other people finding me annoying. Because I, like, I know that, but you know, sometimes you just want to be free. You know how it goes. But anyway, day in the life videos. Why can't I stop watching? Okay. Day in the life videos with a kid are the craziest. I don't know if you guys get these, but it'll be like day in the life of a new mom. And on the one hand, it's really fascinating and helpful for somebody in that exact situation to see what's going on. But on the other hand, it's like, it, it'll be a couple in sleeping in the same bed, baby in the room. And they're like, oh my God, why won't this baby sleep? They're like in utter anguish. They're so tired, alternating diaper changing feedings, blah, blah, blah. The mom is just like so exhausted, breastfeeding and then pumping. And I'm just like, oh my God, my heart goes out to you. And I, and I really get taken like I'm there. But then I have to take a step back and say, you put your phone in the refrigerator. <laughs> That's wild. To, to, to film yourself opening your fridge at night to the point where the phone is in the fridge in advance. I'm like, wait, so are you acting? And also they have to be protected. The, okay. The idea that you're getting up, like uh, I'm doing a cartoonish yawn and arm stretch. Um, I'm like, these people actually are pretty good actors because there's no way that waking up and being like tired and groggy and at, you know, disoriented is legit. Why? Because there's a ring light. You don't sleep with that ring light on. You have to turn on the ring light. And I guarantee you, you sleep scrolling your phone and you have an alarm. So I think you have to get you have to get up. You have to put your phone in a tripod. Oftentimes to use my tripod, I have to take off my phone case. You have to turn on the ring light. And then you have to pretend to get up and then get the baby up. And then the baby's ornery. And it's like, oh, my God, mamas, any advice? Turn off the ring light. <laughs> it's my hot tip for your baby to sleep. It drives me insane. I don't want to mock the content because I actually find it useful. But I think we almost, um, it's too inside baseball. It's like sometimes in Housewives we want to see production. Sometimes we don't. We want the illusion. I think I need the illusion of not thinking about you putting your phone in the refrigerator before you open it to get your Dr. Brown's formula pitcher. You know, um, but yeah, I do love a day in the life video in general. Um, I really like the ones of like stay at home girlfriends, stay at home daughters. I just think they're kind of funny. I think they're meant to be a little tongue in cheek. Not sure. Um, I think the most interesting thing about uh, so many young women stay in the life videos is holy liquids. It's like wake up, drink a gallon of water and then use a frother to mix some sort of powder and water and then drink that, which admittedly I do have a lovely advertiser that does that. Um, then make an elaborate cold brew with like syrup around the sides. And then, you know, later on a myriad of seltzers, usually like a fun drink at nighttime that like mixes poppy or what's the other one? <sighs> Olipop. When, okay, when did we start drinking like prebiotic sodas? What even does that mean? Do any of us know what the, those are doing? Um, they, they're good is why I like them. I think it's almost funny that there's 
part of the pitch is they're being like prebiotic or something as if that's what made me buy it. Like I bought it because I heard it was good and you have interesting flavors like raspberry lemon, you know, I like the cream soda Olipop too. I love cream soda, I think is elite to root beer in general, just as a side note to the root beer question earlier, but young women's uh, day in the life videos have so many liquids in it. And I, I love a beverage. I'm not opposed. It's just an interesting thing I've um, noticed. And also sometimes, I don't know, I have a little bit of, I take a bit of issue with like what I eat in a day when people are like showing them working out and eating when there's like an obvious body check at the beginning. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it's there for the right reasons. I, I shouldn't get into it further, but I think you guys know what I mean. Um, and yeah, I do love a day in the life. A list of things that would put Mary Cosby in a coma. Like human decency, conversation skills. It seems like a sense of humor almost <laughs> nearly takes her out. I, I, I feel like she's just so judgmental about fashion. It's like, I think Mary Cosby would simply pass away if she stepped foot in a shoe carnival. A, a pair of rocket dog sandals, almost like a middle of the road designer item from like a TJ Maxx would put her in a coma. Like if you showed up to a party with, with a, a, a snappy casual, more brief Casey purse made by Anne Klein, that would put her in a coma. <laughs> Kenneth Cole reaction would put her in a coma. Any, any designer's diffusion line, that I think would really send her. Did you guys see her on Watch What Happens Live? Oh, my God. It was like one of the first times I stepped away from the news and like watched TV this week. And I was like, why did I this? It, it triggered my fight or flight. I was like, no, no. I, it was so hard to watch. It was Mary Cosby and Z-Way. It was it was something else. I don't know if I'm being insensitive. I think there's a lot. I think she's had a tough life and there's a lot of trauma there. And I'm empathetic if we understood what was going on i you know she married her grandpa i mean the whole thing is just weird um and i i feel for her if she was robbed of having a normal life outside of like you know what her grandmother i guess like asked of her and um it is interesting her personality conversationally is very different from the early scenes when they showed her like commanding her audience at the church but the watch happens live especially the thing with heather she said something really rude about Heather wearing a fake Gucci corset top. And like she said, like, I don't think Gucci makes that corset in a size 14. And it was just like, well, OK, Mary, like, I don't know. For something mean to land in Housewives, the Housewives world, you, you it has to actually be funny, like well-crafted. Or you have to not know you're funny. But she says things that are just mean and it's not funny. With Housewives, I feel like the the whole thing is... If you're going to be a villain, people have to love to hate you or hate to love you. But I think what's happening with like Sai, for example, is we're not it's I'm sure she has an incredibly lovable side, but we're just seeing more of the side that she's just so antagonizing all the time and bringing up the same stuff all the time. And and I think the way the girls are talking about Jessel's marriage and bothering him about the bon me sandwich, like, sure, it's not normal, but also who cares? The, but all hot housewives plots right now are just caring way too much about other people's marriages in a way that makes me suspicious of yours, honestly. Like, why do you care? And I think that Angie, it's Angie in Salt Lake and then people being weird about Jessel's marriage and Roni. And, and I just think it's odd behavior. Love Jenna Lyons, though. Who doesn't? But we're trying to move faster, so I can't put more thought into it. OK, what do we have next? This person says, are you uh, getting Nepo baby model walking videos on your For You page? What do you mean? Like, uh, 
Kendall, the Hadids, Kaya Gerber. Not really. Nepo, okay, this is not what you asked, but this I was thinking this the other day, we Nepo babies. What's funny is we kind of use it as an insult for how people have are many steps ahead of us, you know, different starting point, different level of privilege. Uh, when you're already, in, especially an entertainment actor, actress, singer, whatever, like you have connections in the entertainment industry, which is notoriously hard to break into in the absence of having connections. Like, yeah, you have a leg up. I understand how that's frustrating. But in general, like I just had a kid, right? It, I mean, is it not your goal in life to be so successful that you yourself would have your own Nepo babies? Like when I really think about it, I'm like, yeah, we can use that as an insult all we want. But as parents, I mean, is there anything you want more than to make a name for yourself? Do something that gives you such fortune that people will completely write off your kids entirely? What a gift. <laughs> Like, I would not be mad if I had Nepo babies. That doesn't mean I'll give them everything and they won't earn anything. But yeah, would I, is my ultimate goal to, to, for, for me and mine to have one hell of a safety net? I mean, absolutely. That'd be ridiculous for me to say otherwise. Um, so yeah, may we all birth Nepo babies 2024. Is it milk then cereal or cereal then milk? Is that a real question? Guys. Are you putting the milk for? Okay, sorry. How would you, how would you know how much milk to ha- how much cereal? Oh, sorry. The n- amount of cereal dictates the amount of milk. It has to be that way because one of the most frustrating parts of eating cereal, which I prefer to eat it out of a cup with a small spoon, not a tablespoon, a small spoon. I will go out of my way to get a dirty small spoon out of the dishwasher and wash it by hand rather than eat a big spoon when I don't want to be eating it with a big spoon. Generally speaking, I never want a big spoon. Ice cream, anything. Anything that's delicious that requires a spoon that I want to last longer, I want smaller portions, um, and therefore I want a smaller spoon. But I will say that with cereal, as a person that almost exclusively ate cereal while pregnant, that hasn't touched it since, which I think is really interesting. Like it's almost your body cueing you what you need. There, there is fortified iron. I, I think I needed the Honey Nut Cheerios in retrospect. Um, honey, when I would go down for my fourth or fifth meal of cereal while pregnant in the middle of the night, um, I like to eat it out of a cup. And what's hard about cereal cup eating is that some cereals are more buoyant than others. And Honey Nut Cheerios, when you pour the milk in, the Cheerios rise to the top uh, to a level of overflow that's pretty frustrating. Um, And most cereals, I actually do feel like have a level of buoyancy. So, and that's my point is that's hard as is when you're pouring the milk over it and it tends to float up. Pouring cereal on top of milk, I'm sorry to say, I think is insane behavior. (laughs) Because then it's not sinking. It's not mixing. How I, I just think the amount of cereal dictates the amount of milk. And if you estimate the amount of milk, it's going to be impossible to tell how much cereal you should have because it's going to go on the top anyway. There's different densities there. And that just, um, I don't know, that's stressing me out even thinking about it. But thank you for your question. I'm sorry that I might have just called you insane. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix totally gets me. They, they give you a stylist who's a fashion expert who shops for you and knows exactly what you like and what you don't, what will fit you, and will send you pieces within your budget to make shopping easier. This is such an interesting business model that I hadn't tried until this year. And 
you really can customize your experience like as much as you want and you tell your stylist what you do and don't like. For example, I told her I really like Jennifer Lawrence's street style as of lately, that I'm struggling with pants postpartum, that I like to wear a lot of black. I need to be, my boundaries need to be pushed a little bit with fun pieces, but not so much where we're getting too far from the basics because like a leopard's not going to change its spots. Speaking of, I don't hate an occasional leopard. Think of them as your style partner. Your stylist will learn about your tastes and collaborate with you on looks. You can try everything on at home, keep what you like and send back the rest. Shipping and returns are always free and they have over a thousand brands and styles. So no matter what season of life you're in, Stitch Fix has you covered. And you simply just order a refresh as needed, set it and forget it with regular fixes if you want to get them on a consistent basis. And over time, Stitch Fix and their seasoned style experts will match you with greater precision to perfect pieces for you based on your likes and dislikes. It's so easy. For example, got a plaid jacket that's a little bit more of a modern bomber style jacket, which I feel like we've kind of moved into more of that silhouette in terms of the the jacket world. How many times can I say jacket? And uh, I really love it. And I don't know if I would have normally picked it out. And I just appreciate my stylist for all she's done. And if you want to change stylists, you can. It's super flexible and they have an app. And I, yeah, think you guys should give it a try. So thanks, Stitch Fix. They just get me and they'll get you too. Try today at stitchfix.com slash be there in five and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash be there in five. Stitchfix.com slash be there in five. Last but not least, I want to thank Pear Eyewear. Fall may be the season of change, but life is more fun when you can choose to switch things up anytime. And with Pear Eyewear, you can change your look in a snap, literally. You snap on and off their top frames and their latest fall collection gives you even more ways to celebrate your creativity and individuality. Whether you're getting in the mood for like spooky season or celebrating sweater weather or both, their new designs bring a little autumn joy to your everyday look. What's cool about Pear Eyewear, it was on Shark Tank. I think it's really a really creative company. The, the base frames start at like just $60. And then you can get top frames at just $25 that you literally place on the base frames and it completely changes the look of the glasses. Whether you just want to change the frame itself or if you want to put on a sun topper that will turn prescription lenses into sunglasses or a topper that's a blue light lens if you're working on the computer. They're built for everyday durability and versatility, so they're the only glasses you'll ever need. And I love that I can just pop on a frame if I need a different look or sun protection or whatever when I'm traveling. You also can do a virtual try-on. That's how I found, I think, what my current favorite pair is, which is the Reese. I have it in a blue tortoise. And toppers galore. And their growing lineup of frames has options for the whole family, men, women, and kids. And I think this is so cute for kids, um, especially going into spooky season. Whether you want they want to match their costume or, or they want to be festive with the upcoming holidays, they have so many cute things. And also, you know, licensed stuff from like Marvel and sports teams. And I mean, hey, if you're a recent TS Chiefs bandwagon fan, I'm sure they've got something for you. And you can get free standard shipping on all orders and a flexible 30-day return policy. Change things up this season with new frames from Pair Eyewear. Go to PairEyewear.com slash be there in five for 15% off your first pair. That's Pair, P-A-I-R, Eyewear.com slash be there in five. This one says do... Or oh, create personalities for different da- names like you did with Jamie. Last week, Jamie and I were talking about how like a Sean and a Seth are kind of the same name wise, but slightly different. The problem is I can't even get into personalities. I can almost only tell you what names are like similar in my head. And there's really no rubric for this, nor can I elaborate on this at all. And clearly, um, you know, this, these were the names I was surrounded by in like you know 90s suburbia um 
But in my head, I feel like Brian and Jason are similar and adjacent to Justin, but are not the same as a Michael Mike, a Will William, or a Christopher Chris. And it probably goes without saying, but a Chase is a half Chris, half Jason, both phonetically and spiritually. And then Ben and Nick and Matt, to me, are similar in the way that Andrew was like pretty close to a Thomas. And I think a Jonathan isn't a Jeremy, but is more like a Brandon, where like a Jeremy is more of a Trevor to me. And in terms of one syllable names, I think a one syllable name that is incredibly neutral to me is Josh. And one that I find cute, but ages you ever so slightly as a kid, but works as better as an adult as a Scott. And then a 90s cool guy name to me was probably Brad or Jeff, but it wasn't as modern and like middle school endearing as a classmate named Brett, who probably played soccer. And, you know, for I guess for rhyming here, uh, wasn't interested in me, but I told myself he was playing hard to get. Um. I already said Matt, but along those lines, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, do you all kind of feel the same to me? But that's probably because of the Bible. I One time I did, um, if biblical characters had housewives taglines, and I think I said for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, I think theirs was like, I'll tell it like it is, but don't take it as gospel. Gotta love some light biblical comedy as we talked about last week. But anyway, that's all I got. And uh, yeah, I will not be taking further questions. <laughs> What's the next topic? Baby clothes. There's bamboo clothes drama. There are. There's bamboo clothes drama. I'm finding that I love a bamboo or like a modal because they, the, otherwise the cotton stuff, they just grow out of so quickly. But I don't know the drama. Is that like unethical? Also, are you guys putting pants on your infant? I went to go buy. I, I, so it's cold out now. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this kid needs a jacket. Like I didn't have a jacket for him. Um, and I went to like a Carter's. And all the clothes were like, it was like a, a button-down shirt, a denim, and a vest, like a finance bro vest for a three-month-old. And I don't know. I think maybe finance bro vests in general just are kind of funny to me. I, I don't think, it, I, I've never watched an episode of Southern Charm where someone's not wearing one. Um, but also they remind me of back in the day, the finance bros, when I was like in the dating world that would you know, want to talk about things like mortgage-backed securities or subprime lenders. And now those same guys, they've gotten older, but their vests stay the same. And they're the same people like mansplaining the blockchain to unwilling participants uh, at now probably breweries with their small children running around. I don't know. I don't make the rules. Um, but I guess my point is, on what planet are we putting pants and shirts and layers on our squirmy infants whose diaper you have to change all the time. Am I crazy? To me, that's just really high maintenance. I, I guess I didn't realize until I went into that Carter's that I was doing pajamas around the clock. Like, and the, of the clothes for like a three-month-old, there weren't that many like sleepers, onesies, footy type things, and everything was like full-on outfits. Like, but like button-down shirts. And I, I love a cute fit, especially a cute fit on a little boy like Gadai. But I could also die a much longer and slower death if I have to take pants on and off my kid every time I change their diaper. The, you know, bottom zipper, sleepers, footies, onesies are just so much easier. Anyways, yeah, let me know if that's weird behavior. But I'm impressed by those of you that um, 
have the patience, the, the, the stamina, and the willingness to forego convenience for a sharp look, a tapered leg on an infant. I mean, I salute you. Okay, no less than like six of you asked me about the ballet flat renaissance and specifically what to wear under ballet flats. And I feel like that's an interesting specific question. I don't know what to tell you gals. Um, I have not been in the ballet flat game since over a decade ago, like consistently. And back then, the, the name of the ballet flat game was you buy low, get high numbers of them and just replace them. Not to be be there in five sponsored by your local landfill, but I, I would buy like the foldable ones from Gap and they came with like a matching bag. And again, it was day to night culture. Um, so we were we had like heels in our bag or flats in our bag and we would like swap. But now we're doing cuter ones that are more durable. So I'm, I'm honestly not sure because um, I, I, I like my baby am not out and about in normal person clothes. So I'm not even I haven't even really revisited the ballet flat trim besides this pair of Mark Fisher uh, footwear, like sling back flats I have, but they aren't ballet flats. I wouldn't be wearing a sock or anything underneath it anyway. Um, I think what's, but part of me wonders like, okay, what are you wearing ballet flats for? If you're wearing them out on the town to meet friends, to go to brunch here and there, like, I don't think your level of foot sweat is going to be that threatening, especially if it's in moderate weather. Part of me wonders if as millennials, when we're now that they're back, we're thinking back to our peak day, days of ballet flat wearing. And for many of us, we wore them to like power walk in a city. We wore them to like study abroad to wear with, you know, skinny jeans and a street pashmina. Ballet flats were a way to look nice and to look casual in context that now I'd argue we almost are always wearing sneakers. I think people forget we did not used to think sneakers were cute, were a vibe. We wouldn't be caught dead wearing a leopard midi with a tennis shoe. We wouldn't be caught dead wearing a sundress with a, with a sneaker. We wouldn't be caught dead wearing a sneaker out to a bar. This is, this is the new wave of fashion that I'm still getting used to. When I was coming of age and going out or out-out, sneakers were not it. The sneakers were for mall walkers and American tourists that you did not want to be. So therefore you wore ballet flats with, with your street pashmina and everybody obviously thought you were European. Anyway, I don't have the answers, gals, but thank you for asking. And I wish you luck in finding what to wear underneath ballet flats. I just, I would ask yourself, am I going to be power walking in these the way I did when I was younger? <laughs> um, we've abandoned the bujo, but our planner's back. Oh my God, bullet journaling. I really tried to, to bullet journal for a while. Okay, that's a good question. I do think there's something about a digital calendar that's like less satisfying and seeing it all in front of your face with the planner is ideal. But I've tried to pick up and start for using a tangible planner, honestly, for probably years now. Like I I always think I want one. I'll, you know, when you get in one of those moods where you get really jazzed about a fresh notebook and some new pens and you're like, I'm going to get organized. And then you do it for two days and like you never see the notebook again, but then it's not, it's so empty that you feel weird getting rid of it. But there's something that like tears through my soul about tearing pages out of a notebook and pretending like it's new because we've been through enough. Just get a new notebook. But you also know it's wasteful. And you also are reminded every time you look at it of all the hobbies unfinished, the boojos unbooed. <laughs> No, the Joe's unbooed. <laughs> I, I can't play those sort of mind games on myself, but I keep the notebook anyway. Then they pile up 
and it's clutter. And then I, 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 I just, yeah, notebooks are a source of anxiety for me that really represent like this new beginning or a way I can get out of a funk or I don't know, just a Saturday that I want to spend perusing with a, an overpriced coffee in hand at a Blick Art Materials. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, what always happens too, I, I guess I'm talking about a mixture of notebooks, journals, and planners, but to the planner piece, the reality of of carrying around a physical planner for me is something that the new me does, but the current me and the me that never changes but always convinces myself I will um, can't bother with a physical planner. Not only because I'm carrying so many things in between rooms by the time I have like a beverage, my AirPods, my phone. Lord knows they don't make enough women's clothes with pockets, so I can't use them. I'm just like never remembering to lug around a paper planner. And beyond that, when I'm out of my house, it is quite inconvenient to need to know something about a date and then the planner's at home and you don't have it with you. So, yeah, I don't know if people are doing um you know, print planners. I love the idea of having everything in front of me and it's really satisfying to do if you know your plans. Um, but I do think there's something a bit bleak about motherhood where um, I live my life in spurts of two to three hours that are highly predictable, but chaotic all the same. And uh, so rarely can I make plans because I have to line up childcare factor in my husband's work schedule and then just, you know, figure out if on that particular day I'm up for the kind of despair that comes with having an entire wardrobe of things you carefully curated and genuinely like and probably will never get to wear again. So you might regret asking that, but there's my answer. That actually that um the phenomenon of carrying a ton of stuff like to and from the car or whatever for me it's like room to room, floor to floor. I think there's it's now like a TikTok trend of, of some kind like um not girl physics, girl hands, I don't know. But it's funny because these girl blank things that I think, um, you know, become popular, kind of like girl dinner, they're kind of just fun and cute ways to brand common female habits. But I love how they kind of have like a deep, always have a deeper meaning. Like it is crazy how we don't have pockets. And if we do have pockets, they're not very big pockets. And we need to just like carry our stuff. And even somehow stuff that doesn't even fit in a purse. I don't even know if the pocket argument stands up. And girl dinner, I think um, uh, who maybe it was Liz Plank had like a really interesting take on this on her TikTok where she was talking about how um, like most people, like a lot of times when, especially when you're like a young woman and you're on your own, uh, and you, by yourself in your house, sometimes you'll cook a meal. And if that's something you like and are good at and that appeals to you, that's different. But for those of us like trying to eat and just in terms of like sustenance, I don't like to meal plan. That's why I love like random meal services and stuff like or grocery services that help me do that because it's just not an area of strength for me. Um, and if I'm home alone, I 100% will graze. I so rarely will actually make myself a meal. And I think it was brought up how there's something interesting about girl dinner, because I think especially when you get married, when you have a partner or live with somebody and there's two of you, um, this, for lack of a better word, perceived shortcoming, not actual shortcoming in, in my case, uh, is more apparent to you because all of a sudden you kind of slide into a gender role of feeling like you should be 
cooking for both of you should be meal planning or should have food for both of you, even though my husband never asked me to. And we're pretty self-sufficient, actually, in our household. I I understand and relate to that sensation of like, if I'm eating something, I should see if he's hungry and see if he wants the same thing. But when my dinner is a combination of frozen grapes, a microwave cheese quesadilla, two pieces of dark chocolate with sea salt. Later on, maybe I'll eat some popcorn. And depending on where my post-pregnancy allergy lies, I'll slice up an apple. It's like, does Greg want that for dinner? Probably not. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't eat it. So we actually kind of have a divide and conquer vibe, especially right now with the baby of dinner in our house. And I'm, uh, but I, I, and I can't decide what, what I want to do going forward because I, I loved sitting around the table with my family growing up. But the real, I don't, I, yeah, I need to figure out the reality of doing that um, and how we can still like get the togetherness without, you know, the burden of, of meal planning and cooking falling on one person. We'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, I do think there's something really interesting about girl dinner because I didn't even know that other people did that. I just always called myself a grazer, but apparently a lot of people love to graze. This person says, <laughs> when hairstylists fuss up your hair to show you the finished product, no one is doing that. Like when they twist the fronts and push up the sides to make it perfect. <laughs> Wait, that's so funny. You're right. That That's the hair equivalent of like jeans made for standing like i don't know how to explain this but so often i see um hair tutorials on tiktok or youtube and they look immaculate and especially like the round brush or like the uh, the ponytail curling blowouts or the dyson air app you can't basing a hair tutorial off of how the hair looks when they are freshly finished and filled with fluff is a ridiculous thing that we all do. It's the illusion of, you know, this person not showing you how they fare in the elements and therefore you exclude from the narrative what the elements do do to (laughs) to your hair. And I just feel like this happens all the time where we base how we want things to look off of like an isolated image, a video when it's freshly done, or like even just style that looks objectively cute but is impractical. Like, I don't, you know how people wear sweaters over their shoulders, but they'll do it over one shoulder and then under the other arm. And it's almost like a diagonal shoulder sweater. Maybe it's my gob bod. I look insane. I look like that was an accident. I don't look high fashion ready to have brunch at the club and pick up an impromptu pickleball game. There's some stylistic things that are purposefully a little off kilter or made casual or, or worn in, or I, I don't know how to explain it. There are certain elements of style that make some people look chic as hell and other people look like it was a mistake. Why are some people like, oh my gosh, what a creative use of that thing. And some people it's like, oh, they didn't look at the mirror when they left. It, it's just, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it. Similar to what I was saying with Jamie, like fashion hats. Um, some people, you look at them and that they belong in that hat. I genuinely feel like people would look at me and ask, you know, why, ma'am, why are you in costume? And that it, it's, I don't know, maybe it's from a place of my own insecurity, but it's the same dilemma I had back in the day when we first started wearing waist belts. I was like, 
there are no loops here. What is this doing? And I think you really have to transcend functionality in the name of fashion sometimes. And um, I think with certain trends, like I I maybe just don't try it enough to get myself there, but I can eventually. It took me about a calendar year to just get used to how my face looked with my hair slicked back and to stop caring how dumb I thought my face looked. And then to just wear my hair slicked back. And the more I did it, the more I got used to it. And now I'm so grateful because I literally cannot be bothered to wear my hair down in these drying times. But yeah, hairstyles, fussing up your hair and pulling, twisting the fronts is is just is genuinely funny. That's such a good observation. Like who was twisting their fronts at every turn? Nobody has time for that. There's so many food questions. Ranking of breakfast foods. Honestly, I don't really need to rank. I love a two egg scramble. The drier, the better. I, I want a diner situation. I want a Bob Evans situation. Like I just, I want two eggs scrambled dry as hell. I don't need the fluff. I do like a Gordon Ramsay method with the creme fraiche and the scramble and moving on and off heat in my immediate life, like in my kitchen. But I love a dry ass egg in in a third party vendor. And um, I like it with a hash brown or a home fry. And every time I'm there, I, I debate, do I want links? Do I want patties? And sometimes one does make more sense than the other. But uh, overall, I don't know that I currently can express a preference. I do think there's a nice element to when a Sausage patty has, uh, you can still kind of taste the buttery nature on the outside from the pan. It was like fried in. I think a, a link can be more substantive and last longer, though I do tend to not love eating the ends as much as I like eating the middle. And in general, if you're thinking, why not bacon? It's because there lacks the best practice for bacon in a diner setting where it is just too impossible to predict the crispy, the soggy, or the chewy factor. Whereas I do trust that generally speaking, most eateries do know to cook sausage to a temperature, internal temperature of 165. And I can at the very least trust that even if there are some departures with color, just general funkiness, that it's it's cooked to level of texture that is to be expected when it comes to sausage, you know? A little bit more predictability. But yeah, I, ranking breakfast foods like I is really kind of a non-event for me. I don't know if that's a hot take. Not to be deliberating French toast over hot cakes. Oh God, a reverse aioli spirit where I rank the best vehicles for the condiments and not the condiments themselves. Well, I don't have time for that, but that sounds really interesting. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, I need to move on. Um, next weekend, weekend, we'll have another escapist episode with Danny Pellegrino. I'm so excited. He has a book coming out called The Jolliest Bunch, and we had just like a really fun conversation about holidays. Um, but I thought for this week, like we should just talk one on one like old times and I should hear from you directly random shit you guys wanted to talk about. I don't know. Um, I hope this was a welcome distraction. You know, it's, can't say it was a good time, but it was a thing that took up time. Which, I guess, in many ways was my goal today. Thanks for listening to this stream of consciousness, this kind of random episode. I know it was no ALE spirit. I don't think anything ever will be, but uh, I think it was nice to just talk about something else for a little bit. It's helpful for me to <laughs> take a break and get my mind off things anyway. I don't know. I have weird feelings of of guilt that, you know, my little world is like so chaotic, almost to the point where... It feels like so exhausting and unmanageable sometimes. And if you're a person that really likes to pay attention to what's going on in the world, like it's almost this tension of feeling guilty and pathetic that like you can't even get your shit together, like in your own tiny world. And then 
digesting what else is going on in the rest of the world and the the tragedy and sorrow and level of magnitude that will affect like the future of mankind. Like it's so big. And I've just, in case anybody else is in like a really chaotic uh, phase of their immediate life and isn't always able to emotionally process or reconcile what's going on in the broader world. I hear you when I see you. And okay, now I'll switch gears for just like a minute. Um, If you want to turn this off, if you need, you know, don't want to be like triggered or talking about what's going on in the world and just need like a full escape, because honestly, like I don't have any business getting into this. But I also think there's a danger of it being so tricky to talk about. You don't talk at all. Um, and I just ask that for a minute, if you'll let me be like a person and not a perfect um, performer of the right words. I think what's been interesting about this parenting experience to me is how yeah weird you feel like as if this is an excuse in your incredibly privileged position. But like it, there is an element of your physiological needs being compromised in terms of just being incredibly sleep deprived, remembering to eat, not showering, like just there's a, a God saying survival mode sounds so insanely deranged, but it, it's it's like you can be just trying to calm a baby in between like waves of sleeping and eating and burping and trying to calm them down and like six hours will have passed and something devastating will have happened and like you didn't even know about it and you're just like you don't feel like yourself if yourself is staying connected to these sort of things while also needing to prioritize what's going on in your immediate life and in case there's anybody relates to that situation right now I just feel like I'm going a little bit crazy um and uh, although I, I just it's like I have so much to say and I don't know what to say because I think this week, I've just been a new mom holding a baby, <laughs> scrolling through my phone, and I can't sleep, and the baby already doesn't sleep. And while we both don't sleep, I scroll through stories of mothers who don't get to complain about their babies not sleeping because they've been separated from them or worse, killed, and it's gutting, and I want to curl up into a ball of anxiety and despair, not only out of grief and empathy, but also, for out of the, the sheer hopelessness for humanity that these things are even possible. And it seems crazy to be like navigating the semantics of like what you do or don't say and to call something so complex when it's like the, the side of this that's just about humanity doesn't feel complex to me at all. And I feel embarrassed even saying how it made me feel because who cares? Like imagine experiencing it. That's the whole thing. It's like you can't imagine and you feel helpless about what what you can do. And sometimes I try to find some semblance of, of leadership given the immense responsibility of having a platform. But I, but sometimes, I guess specifically this time, yeah, I'm experiencing it alongside you. Um, obsessively consuming the news, learning as much as I can, playing catch up regarding decades and in many ways thousands of years of history that I've failed to comprehend outside of a high level understanding and that's not something i'm proud of at all and if you're a person without a direct tie to the people or places affected by the israel hamas war and you're feeling overwhelmed not only by your tremendous grief and devastation for those involved but also your realization of your lack of education and in some cases ignorance toward the situation i'm 
I'm right there with you. And I wish I could be taking more of a leadership stance, but I just want to be honest in that I think sometimes the responsibility of a platform is um, to really dive into something when you can add value. And in some cases, I think the responsible thing to do is to acknowledge when I fall short of being able to provide something educational, accurate, and value added to my audience. And honestly, even bowing out of this feels cowardly when I talk about issues. Like I think as a woman in America, I feel very equipped to talk about like women's issues in America. When I talk about issues like being pro-choice, for example, like I often even make the argument that it should never have been political. It's about human rights. And um, I think what I want to make abundantly clear here is while the situation is A, not complex to everyone, um, it is complex to talk about because so much can be implied from your words or from from what's missing from your words or from your silence altogether. But I, I don't have complex feelings about human rights, about the safety and freedom of civilians. I don't have complex feelings about how I want people to feel safe here. If you come to listen to this podcast and anti-Semitism has no place here, Islamophobia has no place here. Um, in general, as a person, I believe when things happen to communities that I'm not a part of, it's it's my job to believe them, to grieve alongside them as a fellow human being. Honestly, that's where a lot of my focus has been this week. And talking to friends and listeners who are much closer to the situation in either Israel or Gaza than I'll ever be, I think there is kind of a shared sentiment of wanting to stand up for or or focus on certain things involving one group and how that doesn't imply your indifference to another and and I really understand and believe in holding space for grief when something tragic has just happened without feeling the need to immediately politically metabolize it. It seems so diluted and performatively neutral to stand on the side of humanity. And I, I understand these takes aren't going over well, but I don't, I'm actually here not to provide a take, but rather I just want to acknowledge the absolute horror and the barbaric and terrifying nature of what happened in Israel last weekend by the hands of Hamas and acknowledge the pain and and fear I've witnessed firsthand in, in so many of my conversations with my close friends that are Jewish. I mean, it, it, the deadliest day for Jewish people since the Holocaust is understandably terrifying for so many people. And I want to acknowledge my ignorance and lack, and the lack of fairness in what we're often exposed to, and also my ignorance and what I haven't pursued in understanding the daily ongoing humanitarian crisis that already existed in Palestine and the conditions now in Gaza that are are genuinely terrifying to me. Because again, as a person that cares about human rights, there is no solution to me that involves the killing of innocent civilians, of children. And um, yeah, like I said earlier, that's where I need to acknowledge my limitations and even being able to talk about this responsibly because then we get into a conversation that's so much bigger about governments and terrorism and military affiliations. And I don't believe that people are the same as their governments, as their military affiliations. I wouldn't want to be affiliated with our administration at so many points throughout, you know, the past decade plus when I've been an adult. How long have I been an adult? I literally can't even do the mental math. How old am I? Okay, I've been an adult for two decades. Don't Literally, I'm an idiot. Turn this broadcast off. There's just, There is a naivete and an idealism that comes with, you know, 
trying to make a humanitarian argument because it's not solution based, it's concern based. But I do think it's fair to express that you're concerned um, and scared and that you worry about all of the innocent people all of the time and that your focus and desire to acknowledge one group's pain isn't meant to imply indifference to another. And it's like so crazy because even as I'm saying this, it's like I earnestly mean it, but I also acknowledge what a bullshit word salad it sounds like because uh, it's not my desire to save face. It's my desire to genuinely not offend people whose, whose experience like I have no business speaking to. And you want to like defend and stand up for people. But what I've realized on the Internet this week is you have to acknowledge like the limitations of your understanding to the point where you don't even know how the interpretation of your words or the what you're leaving out of them could stand to deeply offend or harm or hurt somebody. And I just don't know, you guys. I don't know. But please take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And as stupid as it sounds, like, seriously, don't forget to have all the conversations offline. Like, the conversations I'm having offline look so different than what everything looks like online in terms of there just being such binary thinking. And I think it's really important to connect with one another. I think it's really important to not tell people how to feel about their experience when you've just entered the conversation digitally. And I think that it's important to also work on uh, our media literacy. I'm really working on mine. It's very hard to discern genuine expertise anymore. And that's why I want to be abundantly clear where I lack it. Anyways, I just, I appreciate you listening. Thank you for your patience and understanding. And yeah, love you guys. Weird episode. Um, as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. <laughs> <laughs>